Bibles now to Genesis 12 verse 1 to 3 as you also welcome our online community as we are streaming live again after a break of our 21 days of refreshing when we deliberately did not go online because we felt that God was speaking to us as a house as a church and uh, but now we want to open that opportunity for others to join us so we welcome our online community this morning and uh, we are in Genesis chapter 12 we're reading from verse 1 to verse 3 now the Lord had said to Abraham get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed can we say amen now let's go to Genesis chapter 17 we're gonna read from the first verse now Abram was 99 years old now when when Abram was Abram was 99 years old rather the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him I am Almighty God walk before me and be blameless and I'll make my covenant between me and you and I'll multiply you exceedingly then Abram fell on his face and God talked to him saying as for me behold my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations no longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God amen I want to talk uh, build on last week amen and uh, talk on walking in the new covenant walking in the new covenant I might not finish today but that's okay we'll be able to finish next week if we don't get through everything today walking in the new covenant now what we find here is that God is making a covenant with Abraham God is a God of covenant is a God of covenant Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that word God there is the word Elohim Elohim the word Elohim means the covenant keeping God the first word or name that God uses for himself in the Bible is that he keeps covenant that's the first and primary revelation about God and it's God the Father Son Holy Spirit that are one God uh, but they are three which is a mystery but there's a covenant within God himself God in a covenant himself then goes on and, and creates the earth and, uh, and recreates the earth and so forth and creates man and so forth out of a covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. 
He introduces himself as the covenant-keeping God to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. He says, get out of your country, get out of your people, get out of your father's house, and, uh, for, and to a land that I will show you. And there I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Later on in chapter 17, he elaborates further on the covenant. He says to him, verse 2 of chapter 17, And I'll make my covenant between me and you. I'll make a covenant between me and you. And the result of that covenant is that I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. So God is a God of covenant. What we need to understand about God is that everything God does, He does because He's a covenantal God. He's a relational God. He's a covenantal God. God moves nowhere with anybody without a covenant. When you come to the children of Israel, for example, they want to go across uh, over the Jordan and go into the land of Canaan. What God required of them was that they be circumcised at Gilgal. Because God knew that if I'm going to move with anybody, I need a covenant. And circumcision is a sign of a covenant with God. God is very, very serious about covenant. God is not casual in His relationships. God is committed to His relationships. And just like in a, in a real life situation, he doesn't want to date forever. He doesn't want to jola forever. He wants to tie the knot. He wants to put a ring on it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He says, if we're going to walk together, I need a ring on it. I, I need a commitment from you because I don't work with casual. I don't do off and on. You're on or you're off, but I don't do off and on or sometimes or maybe. I need to make a covenant together with you. And so God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm serious about you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And this covenant is going to be valid to your seed and to your descendants from generation to generation because I'm up to something. So the first thing we need to know about God is that God is covenantal. We cannot understand much about God until we understand that. And you'll see as we go on uh, what we mean by that. That God operates from a basis of covenant. A commitment He makes in the long term with somebody that's willing to make a mutual commitment to Him. Uh, the reason why uh, God created a covenant of marriage is because there are certain things that are only available within the bounds of marriage. Now, people may think that they can get what is available in marriage and bypass the covenant. But I've got news for those people that as much as one may think that one is accessing what belongs to the covenant, you really cannot rob, your, rob God. You can't beat the system. There are certain things, there are certain levels of intimacy, there are certain levels of trust, there's a certain level of relationship you can never get to without a covenant. That you must come to a point where you make those vows. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You must make that lifelong commitment, that unconditional commitment to one another, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, etc., etc., as long as you both shall live. Because there are certain things that are only available through covenant. 
And so God, knowing that uh, he had chosen Abraham, decides that he's going to make a covenant with him. And we need to look at the essential parts of a covenant to understand what is a covenant. We live in a day now where people really don't understand covenant at all. To the point that even when it comes to the marriage covenant, they see it as a contract. Well, a contract can be broken. There can be prenuptial agreements and there can be all kinds of agreements that give you an exit clause. But when God makes a covenant, there's no exit clause. I'm talking about God making a covenant with us. Can I hear your amen? When God makes a covenant, it's forever. It's forever lasting. He does not change his mind once he has made a covenant with somebody. It's forever and forever. It's not just something we can change or adjust along the way. And everything that God does is built on the foundation of a covenant. And we're talking specifically now about a covenant with Abraham. But let's look at the essential parts of a covenant. Number one, in a covenant, there are what is, there's an exchange of gifts. We read about uh, David and, uh, and, uh, and, and Jonathan, how they exchange armor. Jonathan gave David his belt, gave him his, his shield, his sword, his armor, his helmet, everything. And David would have done the same. That in every covenant, there's an exchange of gifts. There's a mutual exchange of gifts. And that's why in weddings, there are gifts involved. Whether those gifts may be lobola or umshambiso, these are types and shadows of what is happening in a covenant. There must be some exchange of gifts. And so God gives certain gifts to Abraham. And one of the gifts he gives to Abraham is Isaac. Isaac is a gift from God. Isaac is not a product of Abraham's work. And number two, he gives him the gift of Canaan. Look at Genesis 17 verse 8. He says, also I give to you. I give to you. He has a gift. Abraham didn't ask for it. He didn't deserve it. God says, this is part of my covenant. I'm so serious about this covenant. I'm going to give you a gift. That's one of the reasons why we have engagement. We have engagement rings. Because that's a gift. It is showing that I'm serious now. Okay, I'm not playing manga manga business. I'm not up to anything bad. I'm serious about this. I'm going to show by a significant gift to you that I'm serious about this relationship. And in the case of Abraham, it is this land. He says, and I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I'll be their God. So this is a covenantal gift to the natural descendants of Abraham. Now in the new covenant, in the new covenant, it's the same. We are in a new covenant now. Now we already know that the new covenant is simply the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham. Amen? It's a covenant God made with Abraham, and now Jesus Christ comes to fulfill or to complete the work that began between God uh, and Abraham. And so in the new covenant, there are certain gifts that come with the covenant. The first gift is the gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. So when you come into covenant with God, the first thing, the gift He gives you is eternal life. You're born again. That's a free gift from God. Because now God is committed to this. Number two is the gift of the Holy Spirit. After you've received eternal life, you must receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. 
And that's all in the Word of God that God promised that if you will come into covenant with me, then I'm giving you this promise of the Holy Spirit. So you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of God. It's part of the covenant. Now, not only that, but um, the new covenant, watch this now. This might be something for you to swallow. Romans 4 verse 13, because I want to give you a scripture. We're talking about the covenant and what a covenant is. Romans 4 verse 13. It says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world. This is to Abraham. The promise that he would be the heir of the world or inherit the world. This is big. Because now we're going to expand our minds. We're going to expand our concept of what God is really up to here in this covenant. There's a promise here that God gave to Abraham by telling him that your seed shall be as the sea of sand upon the seashore, as the stars in the sky, and, uh, and, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. Basically, God was saying to Abraham, I'm giving you the world. I'm giving you the world, Abraham. In you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. I am promising you, I am giving you the gift of the world. Wow. So there's a promise here that Abraham would be the heir of the world. It says, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So through faith, we're made righteous by grace. And that through that grace, amen, we become uh, heirs of the promise that we would inherit the world. Someone say the world. Amen. I know this is uh, renewing someone's mind. It's challenging someone's thinking. You've got to put your head around this. Amen. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And God has, owns it all, so it's within His power to give it to soever He wills. And so, one point in the future, uh, not the far future, I believe, but we're getting closer and closer, the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And we shall reign together with Him and have dominion on the earth. We shall reign together with Christ. Why? Because God has given us the world by covenant. Right now, it doesn't look like we have the world by covenant. Right now, it looks like we're just getting by. Right now, it looks like we're just Mephibosheth in Lodabar. But I'm here to say that by covenant, God has promised you literally the earth. Hallelujah. This is part of the promise of God. This is a gift from God to the heirs of God, the joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That we should rule together with him on the earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. No wonder the enemy fights. No wonder the enemy gets mad. No wonder the enemy wants to keep us ignorant of what God really wants for us. God wants his seed. God wants his children to rule this planet. Not the sons of Satan. Not the descendants of Adam. But he wants his sons and daughters. That's why the whole of creation is groaning. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So they can be freed from the uh, curse and the oppression of what the sin brought into the earth. Glory to God. 
The whole of creation is waiting for the day when they shall be freed from being ruled and dominated by unbelievers. Glory to God. I believe I'll get to live to see that day. Glory to God. I believe I'll live to see that day when Jesus Christ shall come back again for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that has done the job by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And all the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Amen. Glory to God. That's our faith. That's what the Bible says. This is part of the covenant. Exchange of gifts. Hallelujah. Now in return in the new covenant, God gives us all these gifts of eternal life, of the Holy Spirit, of the whole world. So what's our exchange? Because we're in a covenant. It's never a one-way street. It's always two ways. And so what is our gift to God? Our gift to God is our life. Our gift to God is our life. Our gift to God is our life. Just like when the couple says to each other, I do. They have given their lives to each other. Literally. So when we come to a covenant with God, from that point on, your life is not your own. It's given to God. It's God's now. So much for people that say, this is my body. No, it's not. That body has been bought with a price. It's not yours. You need permission to do anything with that body. And that's the justification for abortion and all kinds of things that, that people do to their bodies because the false teaching is that it's yours. No, it's not. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit and is given to God. This is part of my covenant with God. You know, uh, when we we're growing up, we would sing songs like, Hey, I'm going back. I know you don't know the song, most of you. That's all right. That's all right. But it says, I have made a vow. See, we've lost that in Christianity. We want to test and see if this thing works. When it comes to serving God, God says, no, it doesn't work that way. There's no testing, testing. You're either in and you make a covenant and I'll show you, or you're not in. But it starts with a vow. It starts with a commitment to say, Jesus, I give my life to you. That's a serious decision. Hallelujah. And you can't take it back. Once you've done that, it belongs to Him. Your body belongs to Him. Everything you have belongs to Him. After all, God has given you everything. He's given you Himself. He's given you eternal life. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the world. And in a covenant, He says, All I want is your life. I've given my life. I laid it down for you. Now I need your life. Not because I want to hurt you. Not because I want to oppress you. But because I need your life in my hands so that I can bless you and I can make you a blessing. But it has to be in my hands for that to happen. Number two, covenant means costly sacrifices. 
costly sacrifices. Whenever there's a covenant, there's going to be a costly sacrifice. There's going to be blood, traditionally speaking. So in a marriage covenant, there is blood shed. Well, no one's dying. But biologically, when that virginity of that couple is now ended, there is blood. Or at least it's supposed to be. So that is a sign of a covenant. There's a costly sacrifice. Okay? And so it is with the Abrahamic covenant. What did God sacrifice with Abraham? Well, he sacrificed animals. And uh, he asked for Isaac as a sacrifice. Perhaps that's why Abraham didn't hesitate to surrender his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved. Because I, I, Abraham understood this is a covenant thing. God is asking me for a costly sacrifice. I've given him goats, I've given him bulls, I've given him lambs, I've given him all that kind of stuff. I've got plenty of that. That's not a sacrifice. And God says, give me your son, your only son Isaac. And of course, God did not intend to kill Isaac, but God wanted to see that Abraham's heart was covenantal. That Abraham was in for the sacrifice, that no matter what it takes, whatever sacrifice, amen, that Abraham was in the covenant. And in the new covenant, what are the costly sacrifices? Well, most importantly, is Jesus Christ was the sacrifice of God. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Praise the Lord. So God sacrificed His Son because He wanted to cut covenant. There had to be blood. There had to be a costly sacrifice so that He can be able to ratify or fulfill or make available and official the covenant that God started with Abraham thousands of years before. But only Abraham had access to it at that point and uh, very limitedly his physical seed. Because the promise was to Abraham and to his seed, not as to many, but as to one, which is Christ. And so um, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was so that we can now enjoy the covenant that God made with Abraham. Can I hear you loud? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. So, in the new covenant, in the new covenant now, what is our response to the sacrifice? What is our sacrifice? Okay, I've talked about a gift, which is our life. But what is our sacrifice? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable worship in other words that's the least you can do your bodies God doesn't want a dead sacrifice so ain't nobody killing himself for God God wants a living sacrifice hallelujah sometimes a living sacrifice is tougher than a dead one yeah because a living sacrifice means they're feeling the pain, but they ain't dying. Now, I said something very deep. Only the mature can understand that. Okay? So God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the grace of God that has been extended to you, that you now reciprocate covenantally by presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That means there are certain things that your body is not going to enjoy. Because you want to live a holy life. Come on somebody. There are certain things that you are not going to give pleasure to, uh, get pleasure from, when other people will get pleasure out of whatever it is, whether it be illicit sex, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whatever it is uh, that pleases the body. But when you've offered your body as a living sacrifice, you're saying, Lord, I've made a vow not to. Because I want to be holy. I want this sacrifice to be acceptable to you. Can I hear you loud? Amen. I know you don't hear this kind of teaching in church these days. People want to make this Christianity thing sound cheap. But covenant is costly. And I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about truth. You know, when, 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 when you go down the aisle, <laughs> you know, and then they say, Hi, Brother Bill. <laughs> and, the, and they say, and, and the vows say, Will you cling to this woman? And da 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 da. And, and forsaking all others. And, and, and cling only to her. No, no, no. See, some people. They need to pause. <laughs> because that means that you're making a sacrifice for the sake of the covenant. Those girlfriends, those old flames, those boyfriends, those old flames, those potentials have to go. Forever. Amen. So it's not just the fact that you are being blessed by a spouse... It also means that you are now sacrificing your singleness and your availability. You are no longer available. So as far as we say, this is not to be entered into lightly, <laughs> but soberly. Okay, think about this, that there's no plan B. There's no exit strategy. There's no sidekick. Yeah, sidekick, side chick. Side chick, you know. There's nothing. If you're not ready to do that, please leave marriage alone. Because in marriage, there's also the fact that you say goodbye to all the potentials that you have met. And I mean goodbye. With finality, not maybe we'll talk in five years. Let's see how it goes. No, it's forever. Amen. For better, and it's always for better if it's in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. So, in the new covenant, we have a costly sacrifice, which is our bodies. A living sacrifice. It's not only that, the Bible says, let us offer unto God the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips. I didn't write down this, the scripture. You can find it for me up there. Now therefore let us offer to God the sacrifice. Why is it a sacrifice? Because sometimes you don't feel like it. See, if it doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. 
it's nice to praise the Lord when you feel like praising God and everything's going well, everything's going good, but the sacrifice that pleases God is when things are not going well and you still lift up your hands and you still praise the Lord and you still give God glory, you still give Him praise. Now God says, now that was for me. That in spite of what you're going through, you're still going to praise me. Come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we are to bring to God the sacrifice of praise. It's covenantal. It's part of the covenant. Praise the Lord. That no matter what I'm going through, I am going to give God praise. Hallelujah. Now, I can't do that with my own strength. I need grace for that. Amen. But that is the word of God. We're going on. Now, number three, a covenant has a covenant meal. A covenant meal. In the case of Abraham and God, let's go to Genesis, I think it's chapter 14. Let's keep moving here. Yes. Verse 18. We'll come back to this passage a little bit later. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. So notice here there's a covenant meal. That's why in weddings we have a reception. We eat food. Where do we get that from? It's because a covenant is being made. Bread must be broken. Communion. To say now these families are eating together. They are now eating the same food. At the same table. They are now brought together. Especially this couple. Are being brought together. There's a communion. There's a meal. Around communion. And so the, there's a, always a covenant meal. That is eaten. Praise the Lord. Now that's the Abrahamic covenant. What about the new covenant? What is the covenant meal in the new covenant well you just experienced it you just experienced it the bread and the wine this is a covenant meal praise God this is God saying let's sit at the table let's fellowship let's enter into communion let's level the playing field with it between us and and I want to get further about that but there's a covenant meal So Holy Communion is a covenant meal. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's not just eating crackers and (laughs) amen and drinking some some juice. It's a serious thing. Now number four, walking in the new covenant. We're talking about vows and promises. That the fourth essential part of a covenant is vows and promises. Vows and promises. In a marriage covenant, there is no covenant without a vow. You know, there has to be a vow. It's nice to read poetry to each other. That's nice, but that's not a covenant. There has to be a vow. A heavy, solid, clear commitment that now things are changing. I am committing for life. You know? Um, And that's why you have the marriage vows. You have the marriage vows. There have to be clear words that are spoken that says, I'm making a lifelong commitment here. 
are making promises. So under Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, what are the vows? Well, God says, I will make your name great. That's God's promise. God's going to make your name great, Abraham. And by the way, in Christ, glory to God, you are blessed with Abraham. Are you following where I am now? In Christ, you are blessed with believing Abraham. So guess what? God is going to make your name great. Oh, okay. One person received that. Maybe the ones online received that. I want to say it again. God's promise is that He will make your name great in Christ. It's a promise. It's a vow. God says, doesn't matter where you start from, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what tribe, what family, what background, if you make a covenant with me, I am going to elevate you. I'm going to bring greatness out of your life. And there's no child of God that God does not have that destiny for. Can I hear you loud? Amen. Someone say, I'm destined for greatness. Say it again until you feel it in your bones. Hallelujah. This is not self-hypnosis. This is not self-motivation. This is the Word of God. This is a promise of God. Hallelujah. That no matter how low you can go in life, because of the covenant, you are going to go higher. You're going to go higher than the previous generations. You're going to go where you've never been. You're going to have what you've never done, uh, had. You're going to do what you've never done. You're going to achieve what you could not achieve in your own strength because there is a covenant. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for the covenant. Glory to God. He says, I will make your name great. Now this is, remember, this is in Christ. And this is for the glory of God. Glory to God. Now, so that's a promise. That's a vow. God says to Abraham. And he says, in blessing, I will bless you. Hmm. He says, you shall be a, he said, make your name great. I'll bless you and so forth. So what does that mean? It means that he's going to increase you. How do I know that? Because in chapter 17, he says in verse 2, And I'll make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. He will multiply you exceedingly. I declare God will multiply you exceedingly. Every good thing in your life is destined to be multiplied. Someone shout, increase is my portion. Multiplication is my portion. In the name of Jesus. This is a promise. Hallelujah. That though your beginning be small, yet your end shall greatly increase. Woo, glory to God. See, so you know that no matter how things can turn in your life, how bad they can be, but your destiny, your destination is always better. Hallelujah. There's always going to be increase. Your business is going to increase in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Your finances are going to increase in the name of Jesus. Whatever you put your hands to will increase in the name of Jesus. This is the promise of God. In your life. Now I know that it doesn't just happen overnight. But this is the promise of God. And eventually it will manifest and does manifest. And that's our portion. Can I say, can I hear your amen? 
So here's a vow that God is making to Abraham. He's saying, I'm going to increase you. You're just one man right now. You have one son, Isaac. But I want to bless this seed so that your descendants become as the sand on the seashore. And not only this physical seed, but the spiritual seed who will come thousands of years later, who is Jesus Christ. In him, I'm going to increase you and enlarge you. And that's why he's father Abraham to us. So every child of God is destined for increase. I declare to you that by the end of this year, you shall have increased in the name of Jesus. I don't care what your bank account says today. I declare increase in the name of Jesus. I don't care how many debts you have. I don't care what's going on financially. I'm declaring to you that because of the covenant keeping God, you are going to be increased and you shall no longer be diminished in the name of Jesus. Diminishment is not your portion. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Increase is your portion. And this is nothing about emotions. This is a covenant that God has made with all his children that you shall be increased. This house is increasing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by what you see. There was a time when there were just 12 sons of, of, of Jacob. And that was it. And that was <laughs> two generations after Abraham. You think, well, God, you sure enough taking your time. God ain't in no hurry. God doesn't have a problem with time. He can create as much time as he needs. Well, where the sand upon the seashore? Where the stars in the sky? God said, I'm coming. Hallelujah. 400 years later, they come out a multitude out of Egypt. And when they get into Canaan, they are a huge multitude. And God fulfills His promise. And today, it is the same. And so, God will increase you. And I'm not saying it's going to take a long time either. Amen. Glory to God. Because I know what God is doing right now. And God is going to do some fast stuff. God is going to do some quick work in the name of Jesus. God is, is restoring. Hallelujah. And restoring happens quick. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. It can happen overnight. It can happen in one week. It can happen in one month. Glory to God. But God is restoring everything that has been stolen. Why? He has a covenant of increase. A covenant. Hallelujah. It's got nothing to do with even your, your works. It's got to do with the grace of God. That God has already decided that you are going to be a recipient of His blessing. And you're going to increase. And then He says, you're going to be an heir. An heir. You're going to have an heir, but you're going to be an heir of God. Now let's look at the new covenant. Oh wow, the vows and promises God makes. I cannot exhaust them because we're going somewhere this morning. and My time is running. One of the vows that God makes and promises is eternal life. It's a promise of eternal life. The second one is the promise of the Holy Spirit. We've covered that already. That's a vow. That God would dwell in us by the Holy Spirit, but also anoint us with the Holy Spirit. Redemption from the curse is a promise. It's a vow that I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. Can I hear your amen? Um, and also the vow that uh, the blessing that uh, of Abraham. Let's look at Galatians 3, verse 13 to 19. Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curse if everyone who hangs on a tree. 
that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. That's you and me, beloved. That the blessing of Abraham, not just a blessing, the blessing that was put on Abraham, that that blessing might come upon me and you. Glory to God. In Christ Jesus. Remember, that's where it is valid, is in Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So we're talking about a covenant here. Okay? Now to Abraham and his seed, capital S, seed to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So those promises, beloved, to Abraham are mine. They're yours. Claim them. Glory to God. What God said to Abraham is yours. That's why people who just read the New Testament will never understand what God is up to. Because the whole story is in the Old Testament. The New Testament is just teaching us how to access it. So you have to read the whole Bible. So that you know what you have in the New Covenant. Praise the Lord. So, let's read on. <laughs> let's see, where am I? Now, uh, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were his, the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many. I'm repeating myself deliberately. Because repetition is very important. For us to really understand where we are standing in Christ. And what this covenant is. Where it comes from. Okay, um, He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ? Who is Christ? How many of you us are in Christ? Let me see your hands. You are in Christ. Alright, so this promises, and all these promises are yours and they are mine. Because we are in Christ. And he says, and this I say, that the law, which is 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect in other words the law changes nothing as far as the covenant is concerned the law and it explains why the law came it says for if the inheritance is of the law that is by works it is no longer of promise but God gave it to Abraham by promise what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. It's an addendum. It's an appendix. The law is not the main thing. It's just an appendix. An interim measure. Because, watch this. Till the seed should come. Till the seed should come. Of course we know that is Christ. To whom the promise was made. So just to fill time. Just to fill the gap. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. We're talking about Moses. Now a mediator does not mediate for one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Wow.
We haven't got time to go further with that one. But look at verse 29. It says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Wow, that settles it, doesn't it? Settles it. And it's, 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 it's very, very important, beloved, that we understand our Christian faith. What it is based on. It's not based on some moods that God has. It's not based on some preachers of preaching. It's based on the Word of God, based on a covenant that God made with Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago that was fulfilled in Christ. And because of being in Christ, we become the beneficiaries of the covenant of Abraham. So truly speaking, the new covenant is the covenant of Abraham fulfilled. Okay? Okay? Someone say covenant. Okay, we're going to go somewhere and try and get there today. All right. So let's go on to the number five part of the covenant is responsibilities and conditions. There are responsibilities and conditions in a covenant. In a covenant of marriage, I'm constantly using that so we can relate what we know uh, to, to what we need to understand. There are responsibilities that come with a marriage. There are duties that come with a marriage. Um, there are conditions that come with a marriage. So you have to keep those conditions. And those responsibilities and conditions are faithfulness. You have to be faithful to your spouse. It's a responsibility. Of course, there are other responsibilities to love. Your husband, love your wife, all of those things, they are responsibilities. One of the things we need to understand is that grace does not absolve you from responsibility. Oh, I need to say that again. Grace does not mean that you have no responsibility. Okay? Grace does not absolve you from responsibility. Grace is there to empower you to keep your responsibility. To fulfill your responsibility. Glory to God. Out of love and out of, out of the power of God. Let me go on. So in the Abrahamic covenant, what are the responsibilities and conditions of that covenant? Well, Abraham had to believe. He believed God. That's a responsibility and that is a condition. And the Bible says it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, he had right standing with God. He had favor with God. So because of Abraham's faith, he got favor. Okay? Faith produces favor with God. So that is a condition. It's a responsibility. The just shall live how? By faith. It's your responsibility to believe what God says. It's my responsibility to believe what God says. It's part of the covenant. Okay? And if I fulfill the conditions of the covenant, I'm going to benefit from the covenant. Another responsibility that Abraham had was to obey God. Obedience to God activates God's faithfulness. Obedience to God activates God's faithfulness. Okay? When we are obedient to God, God will show himself faithful to us. Hallelujah. He says, do not be weary in well-doing for after a while you shall reap if you don't faint in other words if you're faithful and continue to do 
what I told you to do, I will show you my faithfulness. See? Because that means if I faint and I give up and I throw up my hands, then that means that I'm not going to see the promise. Okay? So there's a condition here. There are responsibilities here. And here's this one we're going to get into in a minute now. Another responsibility and condition that came with the Abrahamic covenant was the tithe. The tithe. The tithe. The tithe. The tithe. Ogweshumi. One-tenth. Abraham was a covenant man. Melchizedek came out after Abraham came back from killing the kings. He came out with bread and wine. What's that? Covenant. Abraham said, oh, it's covenant time. I know what that means. I have a responsibility. I've got to fulfill my responsibility to this covenant. And the Bible says he gave him a tithe of all. And then Melchizedek blessed him. It's a covenant thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's a covenant thing. The tithe is an act of covenant. Remember, the law changes nothing. Whatever Abraham did, we are supposed to do. We walk in the faith of Abraham. And I know I'm talking in a time when people have a whole lot to say against the tithe. Oh, the preachers just want our money. I say, keep your money. If it's your money, please keep it. If it's God's money, well, that's another story. If you're in covenant with God, then I would suggest that you keep covenant. I would suggest you keep covenant. And if a person says, well, I don't tithe, I want to ask them, okay, how is that working for you? How is not tithing working for you? Are you experiencing increase? Are you experiencing breakthrough? Are you experiencing supernatural supplies? So it's not working. But I'll tell you, being a covenant keeper works for you. I know what I'm talking about. Being a covenant keeper works for you. Tithing is not about um, what people think, you know, in the sense that uh, it, it, it renews your covenant with God. It refreshes your covenant. Okay? So these are responsibilities and conditions even under Abraham. In Christ now, in the new covenant, our faith also activates God's favor. Our faithfulness and abiding in Christ activates God's our fruitfulness. I'm going to time John 15 verse 16. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will. You shall bear much fruit. Abiding in Christ, those are responsibilities. Those are conditions to abide in the vine. Our obedience activates God's faithfulness. And the tithe activates the blessing of Abraham. The tithe activates the blessing of Abraham. It's a covenantal thing. Okay? There are responsibilities. There are duties we, we must perform. Not perform out of duty in that sense, but out of love. Out of love. Praise the Lord. So, 
Let me just jump here and talk further about this. Genesis 14, verse 18 to 20. And we're going to be able to give me 10 minutes and I'll, I'll, wind, I'll be done. This is very, very important, beloved. There are certain things that today people want to attack. Not understanding the covenant. The covenant. That there are certain things that come with this covenantal living. And if you're a covenant person, and I'm a covenant person, it will be manifested by the fact that I keep the responsibilities um, and expectations of the covenant. In a marriage, there are certain responsibilities and expectations that happen behind closed doors between a husband and a wife. Now, they shouldn't be done out of duty. What's the point of that? They're expressions of love. They're expressions of relationship. Okay? They are renewing the covenant. The marriage bed is a place for renewing the covenant that husband and wife have. And there are responsibilities there. So the Bible says so that we should not deprive one another. I'm not in the marriage conference now, but I'm, I'm going to tell you now. Okay? The Bible says that the man has no power of his own body, but his wife does. And the wife has no power of her whole body. You can't say no. And he can't say no. I didn't like the way you talked to me today. No, fix that. But you can't say no because you don't have power over your body. Your spouse has power over your body. And this shouldn't come to a point where it's a matter of force. God forbid. But my point is that the Bible says we have certain responsibilities that you have to fulfill and you need to fulfill because your covenant rotates around this. I heard an amen back there somewhere. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Uh, someone's hearing the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, sometimes, you know, we get it all twisted. You know, and people want to use uh, that as a weapon of control. Nah, nah, nah. You're in the doghouse today. You know, now nah, don't touch me. You know, all of that. No, 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 no. The Bible says you don't have power over your body. You don't have authority over it. Yeah. But you don't hold back because you want to show your affection. The Bible says we must show each other due affection. Benevolence. Tithing is showing your affection to God. Hallelujah. I'm going to go deep and I'm going to close. So, Genesis 14 verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. So, God, now this is deep, because you know what God is saying here? When he says Abram of God, you know what he's saying? He's saying that Abraham's surname is now God. So whatever Abraham's surname was before, he changes it now. He says, because I'm in covenant, I am... 
Well, it sounds strange saying Mrs. God. But yeah, my surname is God. Yeah. My surname is God now. Why? It's a covenant. I cannot keep my old surname alone. Now today I know we have double-barreled surnames and all that. You know, and uh, whatever. But the point is that you've got to take that surname. Because it's a covenant. Yeah. You've got to take that covenant, that name. So Abraham takes God's name and he becomes Abraham of God. Glory to God. Now he's married to God, if you will. All right. Watch this now. So he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. So Abraham is now <laughs> of God and they are now possessor of heaven and earth. Because they're in covenant. Woo! So everything God owns, now Abraham owns. They're in community of property. Wow! And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. Okay. So, maintaining and renewing the new covenant, beloved, I'm going to wrap it up with these three points. Number one is the Holy Communion. When you want to maintain the new covenant, and you want to renew the new covenant, you take Holy Communion. Okay? It's a covenant, yes, it's there. But it needs to be maintained. It's a marriage. Yes, it's there. It needs to be maintained. It has The covenant must be renewed continuously. Two, tithing. Because tithing demonstrates our covenantal love, our worship, and our faith in God as our source. Now let me just break that down quickly for you. Malachi 3. And it's not going to go the way you think. Let, the, let this just bless you this, this morning. We'll take the offering afterwards. Malachi verse 3. Chapter 3. Watch this. We always start from verse 8. But we mustn't start from verse 8. Start from, <laughs> from verse 7 or verse 6. He says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances. Here's God's appeal to the children of Israel. He's presenting his case. What's the case? He says, And have not kept my ordinances. There's something we agreed here. But you have not kept it. Then he says these powerful words. He says, Return to me. Now he's speaking like a spouse that's been abandoned. He's speaking like a wife that has been neglected by her husband. And her husband has gone after other women. He's saying, return to me. And I'm going to return to you. We can fix this thing. There's a relationship here. He says, return to me. And I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? 
Ganja ni. How do I return? To what? To the covenant. How do I return? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So God is saying, you have... No, no, I know a lot of times we think God curses people. God doesn't curse people. It says, you are cursed. It doesn't say, I curse you. Are you following? He didn't curse them. He says, because of what you've done now, you have come out of the blessing. You're operating under a curse now, which is the absence of the blessing. Why? Because you have withheld what is rightfully mine based on covenant. These are conjugal rights. Now he says what? You know why he says you have robbed me? And I heard this the other day from somebody, which is very nice. And I thought this is probably more what God was saying than what we often say. He says, the reason why you've robbed me is because you've robbed me of my opportunity to bless you. That's how you robbed me. Because now if you break covenant with me and you become a covenant breaker, I am no longer empowered to be your source. Now you have to be left to your own devices and mashonisas and, uh, you know, uh, cash converters and whatever, bank loans and all of that. You are left to your devices and that's under a curse because you have cut me out of the covenant. He says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me because I want to bless you. I want to show you how much I love you. I want to show you how much I care about you. But you have forsaken me. You have gone after, are you following what I'm saying? You've gone after other sources, other gods. You've taken my tithe. You've paid your rent. You've taken my tithe. You've paid school fees. You've taken my tithe. You've paid debts. You've taken my tithe. And now I am no longer able to be covenantal to you. You can clap. Amen or ouch. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord, if I'll not open for you. Try me now. Check me out. I'm still the same. I didn't leave you. You left me. You stopped tithing. You stopped worshiping me with your substance. You left the marriage bed. You left me cold and alone here in the bed and went after other women. I haven't changed. Return to the covenant. I'm ready to forgive you. Just come back. He says, and see. Try me now on this, says the Lord, if I'll not open for you the windows of heaven and pour for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Remember, I have a covenant of increase. Now I can fulfill my covenant. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the land, says the Lord. And all the nations will call you what? Blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I want to understand this is a covenant thing. God is heartbroken 
He is the abandoned spouse in this relationship. That is now his hands are tied and he makes him look bad because the children of Israel are being spoiled and plundered and they're being diminished and destroyed. And he is the husband and he looks like he's unfaithful to provide for his wife. For his, are you following him saying? It makes him look bad. He says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. This is not what I want for you. But because you have robbed me of the opportunity to be covenantal to you, I, my hands are tied now, and now you're going to be broken, you're going to be in trouble, you're going to be indebted, you're going to be suffering, and all of that, but I'm saying return. Come back. Come back to where you once fell. I haven't got time to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 to 10. You need to read that when you when you get home okay read that when you get home because it's talking about the blessing of keeping covenant and why we make the confession that we make we make that confession to God because this is a covenant someone say I'm a covenant keeper I'm not a covenant breaker hallelujah I'm a covenant keeper I'm telling you there are temptations out there and, I'm good, and then we're going to just wrap this thing up there are temptations out there. This is real. Because the enemy is after that tithe. Like he was in the Garden of Eden. He wanted Adam, that tree. That was God's tithe in the garden. He said, did God say? Abraham, Satan knew exactly what he's doing. He was causing Adam to break covenant. The covenant was eat everything in the garden, but this one, leave for God. The moment he touched the tree, Everything changed. Everything was a struggle. Somebody here is struggling because they are messing with the tithe. It's not that I want it. It's that you need to tithe. <laughs> I need to tithe. It's not because someone is chowing the money. It's because it's a covenant. Am I, am I being straight here? I'm trying to help somebody, beloved. Try any way you want. You cannot dodge the covenant. Can't. You've got to be, I've got to be a covenant keeper so God can be a covenant keeper. I've seen God come through. And there was nothing coming from anywhere. Not even here. Nothing. But because we had made a vow, and renewed a vow to keep covenant God provided and he continues to provide because it's not about who or what it's about him that to be faithful I'm talking to somebody here I'm just telling you that it not, doesn't have to come through your job doesn't have to come through your salary doesn't have to come through it. God can bless you from unexpected sources God will make a way where there is no way God will give you discounts where others don't get discounts. God will give you opportunities where others don't get opportunities. God will give you a break where others don't get a break. And it's all because of the covenant. And if it's less than 10%, it is an offering. 
So rather err and go beyond the 10% in case you miscalculate it. Because automatically it goes to an offering if it's under 10. Many people, well, this is all the tithe I can give. Well, it's not like God's going to beat you. It's not like he's going to hate you. But he's going to be sorry for you. Say, really? But, 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 but you can pay, you can pay ESCOM to keep your lights on, but you can't keep covenant with me? Really? You can buy those shoes for your child, but you can't bring the tithe. Is that how much you love me? Is this all I mean to you, really, after all I've done. And, and so, it's not that he hates you, he's that he feels for us that, you know what this means? That means for the rest of this month, my hands are tied. And you'll pray, you'll cry, you'll fast, you'll holler, you'll scream, and you'll complain, I can't do anything. Because you have not kept covenant. But when you've kept covenant, then I will show myself mighty. I'll make a way where there is no way. I can see the out all over the house. Amen. Because we are deceived, beloved. We're deceived by social media. We're deceived by people who want to criticize the church and uh, you know, make people paint them with the same brush and make it look like we're after people's money. It's not about that. You know, was it Tina Turner said, what's love got to do with it? What's preachers got to do with it? Nothing. Not nothing. It's their part is the third part, which is the blessing. So Abraham brought the tithe to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed him who had the promises. And that's why you bring the tithe, and we bless you. Because our part as your priest is to release the blessing. But if a person comes and says, I tithe, and I, but it's the 50% of the tithe. You know, we don't know that, and I don't care, but the blessing won't come. Well, but you know we're getting no. It's like saying to a husband, saying to the wife, I'll be faithful, but you know I've just got a few floozies just to take care of, to satisfy this week. But you know, next week, uh, no, it was Zaba Shab. The wife will say, What? You're not coming back to this bed. <laughs> Hi, Bo. You follow what I'm saying? You know, and, and we, 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 we need to get this, Bazalwane, that we must be covenant keepers. My wife and I, when we tithe, we, 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 we do it many times at home because I tithe online. So my tithe, and we at least equal that here in NGC, we sow to our Melchizedek. And the blessing flows from our Melchizedek. Hallelujah. And our natural Melchizedek is Bishop Tryon, as you know. But it's not to him that we bring the tithe. I, I think I need to give you the scripture because, you know, we don't get teaching no more. Hebrews 7, verse 1. We've got to go here. I've got to teach you all. Otherwise, we stay in the wilderness forever. For Mel this Melchizedek, king of Salem, when I say Yanshi, I don't mean I'm leaving this place. I mean, I'm leaving those people who want to stay in their poverty, in their poverty. Others of us are going forward. 
we're going forward in the name of Jesus. And uh, those who want to stay behind, uh, we'll be praying. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So you see what Melchizedek did? He blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave what? A tenth part of all. Remember, we're under the covenant of Abraham. That's why this is in the New Testament. So-called people saying tithing is for the Old Testament. Wrong teaching. False doctrine. This is about the new covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. He says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually, now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Watch this. God did not demand the tithe. Abraham gave it. It wasn't a law. Abraham gave it willingly because he understood this is part of my responsibility in this covenant. Hallelujah. So if your spouse approaches you behind bedroom doors, you willingly <laughs> respond. It's not a law. Glory to God. All right, let's go. Where am I? Now consider how great this man was to whom even Abraham... The patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, that is the Levitical priesthood under the law, who receive the priesthood have a commandment. Even in the law we are commanded to receive tithes. It's not our choice. Even under the law. We have a command to receive them from the people. According to the law, that is from their brethren. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Though they have come from the loins of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham, that is Melchizedek, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. The promise needs a blessing. An empowerment to prosper and to succeed. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. You can't bless yourself. So when you spend the tithe, you can't bless yourself. Okay? It won't be a blessing. Someone greater than you has to bless you. Okay? And God is set in the body, first apostles, secondary prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and so forth, and priests in the house of God, because God has given us a higher level of authority so we can be the... Uh, the, 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 the agents of the blessing of God to bless God's people. We have no curse to give. Only blessing. Here, mortal men, here we go. Here, mortal men receive tithes. Here on earth, human beings, preachers, receive tithes for the ministry, for the work of the Lord. I'm not here talking about some kind of personal self-enrichment scheme. 
I'm talking about the principle here that the tithe comes through the priest. The priest puts it into God's storehouse. The priest is taken care of by the, by the house of God, but the tithe goes to the house of God, but it comes through the priest. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. Call his name. See how this works? Here men receive the money, but there he receives the spiritual thing. He receives the tithe uh, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. That Jesus Christ is alive. Glory to God. So, in conclusion, beloved, this is how we maintain and renew the new covenant. It's Holy Communion, it's tithing, and then you get the blessing. Glory to God. And that's God's faithfulness is going to be manifested to covenant keepers. Say it again with me. I'm a covenant keeper. I'm not a covenant breaker. Now, if you have been a covenant breaker, there's room to repent. Amen. There's room to repent. There's room to repent. God is gracious. God is merciful. And uh, there are times when we miss, miss God and we paid for it. Dearly. But we had to come back and return to the Lord. Yes, okay. It was a one third, one quarter what I needed. And I needed another 80%. But out of that quarter, I've got to give God his tenth. Otherwise, ang me. I'm not coming out. I'm staying right there. I'm going to stay right there because I've tied the hands of God. May we not tie the hands of God anymore. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand on our feet. Praise the Lord.